if you have your Bible, and I pray that you do, I want to ask you to take it this morning. Turn with me to the book of the Revelation, book of the Revelation, chapter 2. Chapter 2, we're going to get back. We took a break last week, uh, had missionary guests with us, and that was a, a blessing to, uh, to have the Oliveira family uh, heading to Brazil with us. But uh, this morning, we want to get back to our study of the seven churches of Revelation, and, uh, and we want to get right into our study. And so if you're there at Revelation chapter 2, say amen. All right, look down with me. I want to begin reading this morning just a very short portion of Scripture. Beginning in verse number 8, beginning in verse number 8, the Bible says, And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Look at verse number 11. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the opportunity to gather again in your house to sing songs of worship and praise unto you to lift our petitions before your throne of grace and mercy where we might be able to find help in our time of need. And certainly, Lord, we are grateful for how you have blessed over the past few days those services those celebrations of life as we gathered to celebrate the lives of Bobby Embry and LaRue Maynard. Lord, we pray your continued hand of comfort and care upon the family and other loved ones during this difficult season of life. And certainly we're reminded of others who have lost loved ones during this time. Lord, we pray that you'll show yourself strong in their lives as well. Lord, today as we look at your word, I pray that you will open up the eyes of our understanding that we might be able to look at these verses anew, afresh, if you please. And Lord, that you might encourage our hearts as you were writing to encourage the heart of this persecuted church in Smyrna. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody in this room or somebody watching online that has never called out upon the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of sin, they've never entered into the greatest relationship of a hall. Lord, I pray that today you would draw them close to thee where they might understand your love and that they might recognize your love and take it and appropriate your love. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you do for us. Lord, I pray that you'll bless now as only you can, that you'll use my thoughts, my words, and my actions to bring you honor and to bring you glory. And I'll be careful to give you the praise for it. In Jesus' precious name and for his sake, we all said amen and amen. Well, it's good to see you, and uh, man, I love this time of year. The weather is uh, starting to warm up, and man, I can even take the rain when it's this warm, amen? And um, two weeks ago, we began our series surrounding the seven churches of Revelation, and uh, we know that these are seven historical churches, which I was telling you a couple of weeks ago that Jesus personally dictated these letters to the Apostle John, who actually penned these letters, and these are real churches. And now you have to understand 
that John, at the time he's writing these letters, remember, he's been banished from civilization. He's been exiled as a Roman prisoner, if you please, to the Isle of Patmos. And uh, the Isle of Patmos is about 20 miles or so off of the coast of what we know today as modern-day Turkey. And so, as I said a couple of weeks ago, uh, as we started this series, to understand prophecy, we must first, we must first learn some history. To understand prophecy, we must first learn some history. And so that's exactly what we're doing. We're looking back in history at these seven churches to hopefully be able to understand some things, hopefully be able to learn some things, not only from what was taking place then, but something that we might be able to take and apply to our lives now. And so that's the message today. We're looking uh, at Jesus's letter to the church at Smyrna. And historically, if we'll show the map, Uh, Smyrna was located about 35 miles north of the church at Ephesus. You remember last time we started Ephesus, we talked about them being the careless church. Today we're going to go up the coast just a bit here to the church at Smyrna and look at the the church in Smyrna. And uh, uh, the reality is that the church here, this city, this area was considered one of the most rich, the richest and the most beautiful cities in all of Asia Minor at that time. This is a city that was rebuilt by Alexander the Great. Um, Literally, uh, it was known for its beauty, its buildings, its incredible architecture, its roads, and on and on. And quite honestly, Smyrna was dubbed as the first city of Asia. And now I know the folks down in Ephesus would get upset. And although Ephesus was a larger city, the people of Smyrna actually believed that they lived in the best city. It's kind of like the age-old debate between Bealton and Summerduck. I'm not really sure we would consider them cities, but which is the best area? Well, the folks in Smyrna believed that they were living in the best city of Asia Minor. In fact, so much so that architects have actually, or architects, archaeologists, have actually found coins from that era, and they have the best city of Asia Minor mentored on the coins. They thought they were so great, they actually put it on their currency uh, in that area. And so, uh, because of its location along the Mediterranean Sea, Smyrna was known not only as a great uh, commercial port city, uh, but Smyrna was also known as a resort city. Uh, The the city was, uh, when it was rebuilt, it was rebuilt on this hill or this mount called Mount Pegasus. And, and so, as you came into the city of Smyrna, it would have been something quite amazing and breathtaking to, to look at. In fact, I've had the opportunity, uh, years ago in the military, I had the opportunity to spend some time in uh, the city of Smyrna, which is now known as Izmir. And uh, I was referencing last week, even after the missionary, a uh, little fun factoid story for you. Uh, I was chased by rug salesmen in Izmir, Turkey. And that was because uh, I had looked at some little rugs that had been uh, handmade there in his shop. And he, he, he was watching me like a hawk. And I went across the street and bought a rug from a competing rug salesman. And so he was not happy that I did not purchase his rug. But I went over, and to be honest, it was because I got a better price across the street. And so uh, uh, that's where I was chased. In fact, the rug I was purchasing was one that I bought my mother-in-law. And, uh, and so it was because of you, grandmother, that I was chased in Turkey years ago. 
Oh my gracious, the things we do for love, amen? <laughs> uh, at any rate, the city's name, uh, Smyrna, actually points to its incredible uh, wealth. I told you they were considered the richest and most beautiful city of Asia Minor, and their name actually points to their wealth because the primary source of income in Smyrna was something you might have heard about before. It was called myrrh, Smyrna. And, uh, and so myrrh is a gum resin taken from a thorny tree. And quite honestly, uh, myrrh had a bitter taste which explains its meaning and such. In fact, the Greek word Smyrna, meaning myrrh, comes from another root word that actually means bitter. It actually means bitter. But what we know from the Bible is that myrrh was used, the psalmist tells us that myrrh was used to make perfume. Uh, Exodus chapter 30 reveals that myrrh was also used in the, uh, the anointing oil that priests would use. If we look in Esther chapter 2, we find that myrrh was actually, uh, women used myrrh as part of their purification process. Scripture reveals in Mark chapter 15, in verse 23, you remember Jesus on the cross, He's offered uh, wine mingled with myrrh. But the Bible tells us that He refused it. He did not receive it at that time. And you say, well, why would they mix wine with myrrh because myrrh was actually said to have uh, uh, properties in it that would help to relieve pain as well. And so they would mix it with the wine as almost like a sedative. After Jesus' death, you look in John chapter 19, we know that Joseph of Arimathea and, and a guy that we learn about in John chapter 3, a gentleman by the name of Nicodemus, they come and they're going to wrap or embalm, if you please, the body of Jesus. And guess what they're using? Spices and myrrh would, would have been one of those as well. We know that myrrh was given to Jesus after His birth. The wise men come and they visit the little child. And you remember the gifts that they brought? They brought gold, frankincense, and... That's right. Gold symbolized His deity and lordship, kingship, frankincense, uh, His priesthood and is suffering for our sins, and myrrh was a symbol of Jesus Christ. Now watch this. It was a symbol of Jesus Christ's suffering. And today we're talking about the church at Smyrna. Myrrh, bitter, used to talk about the church that was a suffering church. Myrrh was highly valuable extract used in perfume and oils and ointment. And the reality, the city became... Uh, overwhelmingly wealthy because they were exporting this commodity all over the known world at that time. And it was in the midst of this wealth that the church at Smyrna was established. Now you and I, to be honest, no one knows who or when this church was established, but most likely it actually began. You remember a couple weeks ago we were talking about the church at Ephesus. Acts chapter 19 and verse number 10. If you guys will show that passage of Scripture, we know that after the revival takes place in Ephesus, amidst all the rioting, you remember we talked about the uh, tradesmen that were angry that the gospel was being spread because of the temple of Diana, you know, and they had made these little trinkets and whatnot. In the midst of the revival, the Bible tells us that they, after Paul's meeting a couple years, that everyone in this area of Asia Minor had heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks, in the space of about two years. And so it's probable to think that the church at Smyrna developed after the revival fires had come to Ephesus. And what we know from history is that this church was extremely persecuted for their faith. In fact, 
they were persecuted more so than any other church that we find in Scripture. In fact, you can go to Fox's Book of Martyrs and read about the persecution that took place uh, in this church. And this is why we consider this church the suffering church, because it's appropriate to the name. By the way, something I didn't tell you about myrrh, that extract from a thorny tree that was a gum resin, to get the perfume, to get the oils, to get the healing principles of myrrh, it had to be crushed. It had to be ground up. Hence, the church at Smyrna, the persecuted, the suffering church, if you please. Oh, my friends, we look at it and we see this church being persecuted, but why were they being persecuted? You say, why am I being persecuted in 2021? The same reason they were being persecuted back then. And we find this in Scripture. You see, they were uh, living in, really, I was talking to Abby and Christy the other day, and when you think about Smyrna, it was also the center of emperor worship. And so what that meant was, guess what? Rome wanted you to worship the emperor. And so it, they were okay, by the way, they were okay with you adding a little Jesus in with their pantheon. They were pluralistic society. They were okay with you adding a little Jesus in, but they wanted you to... Uh, bow to Rome, bow to Caesar. They, that was all about uh, uh, the area there with this emperor worship. And uh, the reality at the end of the day is they wanted you to worship the government. Hello, 2021. The reality is they wanted you to worship the government. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you, oh, hey, brother, you believe in Jesus? Go ahead, breathe. yeah, throw Jesus right on top of all our gods and goddesses. That's fine. We're okay with that as long as you bow to Caesar. As long as you do what we tell you to do, as long as you play according to our rules, we're okay with you bringing your Jesus to the party. But you see, the Christians and even the early Jewish uh, people of that day were not pluralistic, they were monotheistic. They believed in one God, not multiple gods. And so they were uh, convinced about this and they were worshiping the one and true God. And in the early days of the Roman Empire, this cult of Caesar, if you please, they demanded that you worship and be a part of what they thought was right. So much so uh, that uh, uh, the Roman law required people... Anyone living in the Roman Empire, you had to make the trek at least once a year. You had to go to the temple uh, and you had to take some incense and you had to cast it there at the temple and you had to say, uh, Caesar, you know, hail Caesar, Caesar is Lord. And, and uh, the Christians said, no, we're not going to do it. And guess what? When they decided uh, that they were going to stand up, just like we would say, let me ask you a question, is Jesus Lord? I hope you're convinced of that because you might be uh, uh, persecuted one day for saying that. You might, you might have to face some hardship if you believe that Jesus is Lord. This church was steadfast in their faith. They, they believed that Jesus was Lord. They believed He was the only Lord, the only King of Kings, the only great I Am, and on and on it went. And yet Rome said, hey, listen, you got to bow down. But these believers would not bow down to Caesar. And because they would not bow down, watch this, they became enemies of the state, so to speak. One day, there's coming a day when you and I are going to have to make a choice. And this isn't conspiracy theory, this is biblical. There's coming a day 
my friends, it's all happy, happy good times. It's good. We're ready to go eat lunch right after we worship today. Ready to go home and, and kick up our feet and have a relaxing time. But there's coming a day when we're going to have to make a choice. Either Jesus is Lord or he's not. And this is what they were facing. Oh, my friends, this is, by the way, this is why John was banished to Patmos. He was an enemy of the state. Remember, John wouldn't shut up. He tells us in Revelation chapter 1, verses 9, 10, and 11, he would not shut up about Jesus. And they said, you know what? We got to get rid of this guy. So what they do, they tried to kill him. And then when that didn't happen, they sent him to the Isle of Patmos. And if you know the reason why they sent him to Patmos is because they said, guess what? Out on Patmos, he's not going to have anybody that he can preach to. Nobody's going to listen to him out there. We're going to banish him out there. By the way, if you've not read Revelation chapter 13, the facts, the facts, the facts, the facts. In fact, let me, let me just ask this question real quick. Do we believe this is God's word? We do. Okay, if you've not read Revelation chapter 13, I want to encourage you to do it. In fact, you ought to read all of scripture. But if you want to be uh, enlightened, so to speak, as to the seriousness of of what took place in Smyrna and what kind of a foreshadowing, if you please, of what's going to take place down the road. You'll find it in Revelation chapter 13 because there's coming a day in the future. In Revelation chapter 13, it talks about in verse number 7, verse number 8, and verse number 16, and really the whole passage, but verse number 7, it talks about there's coming a day, whether you believe it or not, United States of America, there's going to be one government. Whether you believe it or not, United States of America, it talks about in verse number 8 that there's going to be one religion. You know those little bumper stickers that you've started seeing called Coexist? Oh, it's coming. It's coming to a theater near you. One government, one religion. If you go to verse number 16 of Revelation chapter 13, guess what? In fact, I just saw that this was making big news a few weeks ago. What do they call it? Bitcoin? Bitcoin, you know what that is. That's, that's, that's like this fake uh, money. It's like uh, paperless money. Got news for you? Revelation chapter 13. How did God know? Because he's God. He says there's coming a day when there's going to be one government, one religion. And verse 16 talks about there's going to be one currency. And if you read on, verse number 17 says if you don't abide by the government, by the religion, by the by the monetary system of the day, guess what? You're not going to be able to buy. You're not going to be able to sell. If you don't have the mark, if you don't have the name, if you don't have the number of the beast, guess what? You're out of luck. Now you say, Pastor Greg, what's that got to do with the church at Smyrna? The reality, folks, is because the church of Smyrna, the believers who stood up and said, I will not bow to Caesar. I will not bow down. I will not spread incense on some Roman temple. I'll not participate in the government's frivolity. You know what happened? They were persecuted such that they were poor beyond comprehension. And so let's see what Scripture has to say. See, it's important that we kind of build the blocks of what's going on in Smyrna so you can see what's taking place. A couple of weeks ago, look back in our text. I was sharing with you how the church at Ephesus, Jesus told the church what's right, and then remember, he told them what's wrong, and then he said, hey, what are we going to do about it? Well, in this passage of Scripture, we notice that because of their faith and their unwillingness to bow down 
or worship this Roman government system. Jesus only commends them. Look at our text. Because in verse number 8, beginning in verse number 8, what we see is this beautiful recipe or formula, if you please, for encouraging those who are suffering. By the way, it's a good, it's a good formula, not only for those who are suffering in Smyrna, but it's a good recipe for us today. And so look at verse number 8. The Bible says, These things saith the first and the last, watch it, which was dead and is alive. In other words, here in the text, Jesus wanted to make sure that these suffering saints, He wants to make sure that you, maybe you're suffering today. Maybe you've on, undergone some type of suffering. He wants to make sure that you also know, just like He was trying to tell the church in Smyrna, that He's greater. That He's greater than anything you'll face, anything that's going to come your way. He was saying, hey, listen, John, tell them that the first and the last... Tell them that I was dead, but guess what? That I'm alive forevermore. He says, tell them that I have been where they have been. I've gone through suffering. I've come out the other side triumphant, and they can too. That's what Jesus was saying to the church at Smyrna when he said, the first, the last, he which was dead and is alive. And that's what he's saying to us. Isn't that what we see in 1 John 4, 4? When the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Oh, my friends, Jesus is disarming their fear by reminding them that he was able to bring them through whatever they were facing. Look at verse number 9. Jesus continues by saying, he says, I know thy works and thy tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. The word tribulation there, look at that word. The word tribulation literally means pressure, affliction, anguish, and persecution. It carries the idea, it carries the idea of being crushed under the weight of persecution. I don't believe there's anybody in this room or anybody that's watching that has been crushed under the weight of persecution. Now, there are believers all around the world that are being crushed. As we meet here this morning, they are being crushed under the weight of persecution. We ought to pray for the persecuted church. Oh, my friends, it's taking place record-setting numbers all around the world. And Jesus here, He takes time to say, he says, guess what? He says, I know thy works. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. In other words, I know what you're facing. But I want to write to you. He says, John, tell them, I want, to, I want to write to them to congratulate them. I want to write to them to celebrate their steadfastness in the midst of their persecution. Oh, listen, Jesus takes time to say, listen, I know that you have been walking by faith, and I want you to know that I am pleased with your walk of faith. You see, these followers of Jesus Christ in Smyrna had not conformed. They had not conformed to the world, but they had been transformed by the renewing of their mind, which is what Paul writes to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. No matter what the world threw at them, this church was unwilling to bow to anyone or anything except Jesus. And even though they had seemingly lost Everything that they had, they were unwilling to bow. Let me ask you a question. How much would it cost, how much would it take for you to lose before you start bowing to Caesar? How much, how long, how long before you uh, agree with the one government, the one religion, the one monetary system, and we could even go in other areas today, before you say, okay, I get it, I'll bow down to Caesar. 
I'll just add Jesus on to what you're telling me to add Jesus. See, this church in Smyrna said, no, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Jesus is king, and only Jesus is king. Oh, my friends, we have to understand the wiles, the methods of the devil. In verse number 9, look at that verse again. I see the word poverty as well. The word poverty literally indicates that these believers were penniless. They weren't just poor. They weren't just like, hey, I'm down and out. I need a, need a hand up. They had nothing. They could not buy. They could not sell. They had lost everything. And yet Jesus commends them for not bending. They had been ostracized and branded and persecuted. That they had been stripped of all their temporary possessions, if you please, and had lost any means of making a living. They were unable to get money. They were unable to put food on their table. They were unable to do anything. Absolutely nothing. They had nothing. And guess what? It wasn't because of sin. It was because of suffering. It was because of suffering. They had to go through this period, this time in their life. Sadly, and how ironic it is that these believers were living in the richest city of Asia Minor, and yet there were none, Scripture says, that were poorer than they were. Unlike the Laodicean church, which we'll look at later on in our study, the Bible tells us that the Laodicean church was rich and increased with goods, and so much so that the Laodicean church, they didn't think they had need of anything, even though Jesus said they were wretched and poor and naked and on and on. They didn't think that they had anything. But this church at Smyrna was poor, beyond belief. But I love what Jesus says. Look at verse number 9 again. He says, I know thy works and thy tribulation and poverty, but, watch it, but thou art rich. In other words, Jesus was saying, you may not have anything right now in this life, but as heirs of my kingdom, you have it all. You're rich beyond measure, amen? Can I tell you, you don't seem very excited this morning about the church at Smyrna's message. I'm just going to be real transparent. You may not have a lot in this life, but if you have Jesus, you have everything. You may not have a big old house. You may not have all fancy cars. You may not have the nicest, coolest, latest tennis shoes, the nicest, coolest threads, the nicest, coolest whatever you want to fill in the line with. But if you have Jesus, you got it all. Oh, listen, the Bible says take no thought for what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. He knows what you have need of. He, knows what, he knew what the church in Smyrna had need of. But he said, guess what? You're going to have to go through this time of testing, and we're not even to that verse yet. He says, you're going to have to go through this time of testing for a little while. He said, but guess what? It's only for a limited amount of time. Well, listen, you may be going through something right now and you don't understand it and you're probably saying, why does God hate me so much? Listen, God doesn't hate you. He loves you. That's why he sent Jesus to the cross. Oh, my friends, what an incredible God we serve. Sometimes I think we need to be reminded that no matter what the riches of this world have to offer, no matter our reputation in this world or any recognition that you and I might get from this world, there's nothing, nothing, nothing apart from Jesus that is more important. Oh, listen, Romans chapter 8 and verse number 18. What a great passage of Scripture. It says, for I reckon that the sufferings, 
The meaning of that word sufferings, afflictions, persecutions, and sickness of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. In fact, do me a favor. Hold your spot and flip over to 2 Corinthians. I want you to see two verses in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Flip over with me and see these verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. When you get there, say amen. See, that's the way I can get you to say amen. When you get there, say amen. I'm not going to say amen. Just because he said it. Smile. Jesus loves you. (laughs) 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Man, you guys ought to see what I see on Sundays. In fact, I'm going to sell tickets. I'm going to let you guys come up here and stand behind this lectern for about three minutes each. And, and we'll just sell tickets and sometimes let you see what I see. But, the, but hey, if we do that, then I get to come down here and sit and look at you the way some of y'all look at me sometimes. As a deal? Is it a deal? You guys need to lighten up and enjoy the trip. As Pastor Skinner used to say, this train's moving on. We're headed for heaven and there ain't nothing we can do to help it. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's a great two verses of Scripture. Verse number 17. Now I'm going to point out some things. Notice the first phrase there, for our light affliction. By the way, that word affliction is the same word from Revelation chapter 2, verse number 9, the word tribulation. Same exact word. Notice what Paul says. He says it's light. He says it's light. He says, listen, our pressure, our anguish, the persecution that we're facing is light. But also, keep reading, he says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. In other words, he says, it's momentary, it's passing, it's going to move on by. He says, it's it's but for a moment. But notice what he says, it worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal. Notice, the affliction's but for a moment. But what it does, it works towards an eternal, an everlasting weight of glory. Now that phrase, weight of glory, points us to the splendor, the magnificence, the honor, the enjoyment or happiness of eternal life. Guess what? He says, the stuff that you're facing, the afflictions, the persecution, the suffering that we're going through right now, he says it's temporary. And guess what? It may be temporary, but it's actually working together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose because it's going to bring about a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Oh, my friends, keep reading in verse number 18. He says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are what? Temporal but the things which are not seen are eternal. Oh, my friends, you may be facing it. You may have to face it in the days ahead. You may have just come through a a sickness. You may be facing some type of affliction in your life right now. You may be getting ready. You might be on the cusp of going through. We might all be right on the cusp, and I believe we're there, of going through some enormous amounts of persecution. But Paul says, hey, don't lose heart. He says, it's light. He says, it's light. He says, it's temporary. And he says, it's going to work out a far 
more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He says, keep looking to then and there. He says, as you live here and now. Paul told the Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 10, he said, I endure all things, all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with, there it is again, eternal what? Glory. Oh, my friends, Jesus wanted to encourage this church. He said, well, what kind of encouragement is it? They were being persecuted. They had nothing. He wanted to encourage this church in Smyrna. And he wants to encourage us today that no matter what we have to face, we can go through it. Look, at, look back at verse number 9 in Revelation chapter 2. Verse number 9, Jesus says, I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. The word blasphemy here means vilification, evil speaking or slander. Has anyone in this room ever had somebody say something negative about you? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing my wife could say a lot bad about me on a regular basis. I'm just teasing. But did it feel good? Let me ask you a question. When somebody said something negative about you, did it feel good? Can I tell you what this church at Smyrna was facing? You know, the Bible talks about blessed are they which uh, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, or, or in the, in the uh, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of the scornful. Right there in Psalm one one. This is what they're facing. They're facing. They're facing Romans. They're facing Jewish unbelievers who hated them, who despised them. And so they were talking about them as if they were the scum of the earth. And because they were talking about them, because words start to spread, they were saying, Corey won't bow the knee, take his job. Pam won't bow the knee, take her job, take their livelihood. But they got to eat, forget about it. They'll find, they have to find their own way. Bill and Giovanna, take it all away from them because they have to find something, right? And we could go on down. This is what they were, they were facing, this type of persecution. And the Bible talks about this blasphemy. These believers were being attacked by Jewish unbelievers and Romans. In fact, the anger, it was the anger of the Jewish unbelievers who were stoking the fire, so to speak, of the Romans to turn them in. Jesus goes on, look at verse number 10, he goes on in verse number 10, he says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. What? Jesus, you're going to allow the devil to throw us into prison? He says, the devil's going to cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. Guess what? He says, he's going to allow the devil to throw some of you into prison that you might be tried. Guess what? We might have to go through some prisons in our own lives in order to be tried to see if our faith is genuine. And then he goes on, he says, he says, that you may be tried and you shall have, notice this phrase, he says, you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown of life. Well, that's thanks for the consolation prize, right? It's like, what do you mean be faithful unto death? But this is what he says. And if you look at this ten days of tribulation, there's all kind of various thoughts. And one such interpretation seems to indicate that they were that, that it's like ten separate yet systematic uh, waves of persecution that were placed uh, taking place in order to rid the world of Christianity. Can I tell you something? Unless you got blinders on, they're trying to rid the world of Christianity today. They got good news for you and bad news. 
You still live in the United States of America, but I got bad news. We got people who don't much care for the United States of America running things in different towns and villages and places, and guess what? They hate your faith. You think that they like the church? Just look at what's going on. They got everybody bottlenecked up here in churches and places. Churches are having to close their doors because they're not able to meet in certain states and places. Listen, they're coming for our faith. And we must be willing to stand up and face what is coming our way. They were trying, someone said that they were trying to wipe out Christianity. And that would have been uh, prompted by the edicts of 10 different Roman rulers from Nero all the way to Diocletian. Others seem to think that the 10 days of tribulation may represent only the 10th persecution under the ruler Diocletian because, and the reason they say that is because the last wave of his persecution lasted 10 years. Either way, the 10 years here that Jesus points out points to the fact that their persecution in Smyrna and you and I, we can take it to the bank that any persecution that we face will only last for a limited amount of time which is why it's vital for you and I to grasp the incredible example of this church. You see, this church was not persecuted for what they said. You get that? It wasn't that the church at Smyrna said, we believe in Jesus Christ, I'll persecute them. No, this church was persecuted because of how they lived. Their, their faith was more than just talk. You see, because if it was all talk, then when it came time to sprinkle the incense and bow to Caesar, it would have been no problem. If their faith was just talk, then when the Roman law said, hey, yeah, go ahead and add, add your Jesus onto the pantheon, it would have been no problem. But these believers would not do that, evidently, because the persecution was so great, which is why you and I must learn the lesson. You see, this church was willing to live by faith, and if necessary, they were willing to die for their faith. Now, hold on a second. Pastor Greg, are you telling me that I have to die for my faith? Maybe. Maybe. I, hey, listen, no man knows the seasons or the times. We've talked about that, even in our study of 1 Thessalonians recently. But I, none of us, the Bible says, boast not thyself for tomorrow. None of us have a blank check on tomorrow. Our life's like a vapor. It appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. We don't know what's on tomorrow. Listen, these ch this church was willing to live by faith, but they were willing to die if necessary for their faith. In fact, I think about the Apostle Paul. He, he, he believed in the same thing over in Philippians chapter 3. You remember in verse number 8, Paul says he had, that he had suffered uh, the loss of all things and he had actually counted them dung that he might win Christ. But if you go on to... Philippians 3 and verse number 10, he says these words that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If you read at the end of the book of Galatians, his letter to the church at Galatia, he says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 17, he says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Got news for you, the church in Smyrna, they bore in their body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul understood what suffering was about. He had been stoned to death. He had been beaten. He had been left for dead. He had been shipwrecked. And on and on we could go about all the things that he faced. But guess what? He understood that to live was Christ 
And he also understood that to die was gain. It was in 156 A.D., the pastor, the pastor of the church in Smyrna was a gentleman by the name of Polycarp. I don't know how many have read about Polycarp's fate and what took place to him. But Polycarp was pastoring the church in Smyrna in 156, and history reveals that Polycarp was brought before the Roman proconsul. And the Roman proconsul told Polycarp to denounce Jesus Christ or he would die. In fact, here's the proconsul said, the proconsul urged Polycarp by saying these words. He said, Listen, reproach Christ and I will set you free. It was said at this moment that Polycarp, after looking around at those who were standing by and looking into the face of the Roman proconsul, that he said, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I, in this very moment, blaspheme my king and my savior? Now, if you know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say on his radio show, they took Polycarp and they tied him to a stake and they were going to burn him at the stake. And they set the flame of a fire and he's there. And miraculously, when Polycarp wouldn't die, the Roman executioner took out his dagger and hacked Polycarp to death until he died. And history records that. You can read about it. But you know what history doesn't record much about? It doesn't record much about the other 1,500 believers from Smyrna that faced the same fate on the same day. By the way, after they cleaned those bodies up, 800 more died just like it a few days later. I was talking with somebody the other day. They said the very first, I think it was Larry, he said the first megachurch. They died there at the hands of the Roman government. In life and death, the saints of Smyrna put forth, oh yes, that sweet-smelling sacrifice that I, I'm pretty sure was more than acceptable to our great God and our King Jesus. Well, look at verse number 10 and 11. I haven't given you really any points to write down, so let me give you two points because I don't want you to walk out and say, well, the pastor had no points to his message. Well, I'm going to wrap it up by giving you two quick points. Look at verse number 10 and 11. Verse number 10, Jesus says to this church, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. You may recall or remember that impossible situation that was facing Moses and the children of Israel. As they were, they back in Exodus chapter 14, at this point, you remember they've left Egypt and they're on the run, so to speak. And at this point in Scripture, Pharaoh has had a little change of heart. You know, he told them to get out, and so they got out. And uh, he tells his army, he says, no, 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 no. Why did I do this? He, he starts regretting the fact. He says, why did I let them go? They were our servants. They were our slaves. Let's go get them. And so he gets his army together, and you know the passage. And they're chasing the children of Israel out in the wilderness. And as the children of Israel look back, they see that, that Pharaoh and his army are coming. And so notice what they say to Moses in Exodus chapter 14 and verse number 11. They said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, has thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? 
Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Look at verse 12. Is not this the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone? It's like now they say, Moses, we told you to leave us alone. But you wouldn't leave us alone. This is what they're saying. They said, we told you to leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. But notice in verse number 13 what Moses says to him. And Moses said unto the people, you ready? He says, fear you not. Hold on a second. But, 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 but Moses, here they come. They're coming after us, Moses. And he says, fear you not. And then notice what he says. He says, stand still. Hey, I don't know about you, but if you've ever been fearful of something or someone, I'm guessing your response was not to be like, stand there. Listen, I know some people, if they see that little slithering thing, a garden snake, black snake, they're like, Moses says, hold on. They see Pharaoh and the armies coming after him. Do you think that Pharaoh was just going to ride up and say, hey, everybody, just wanted to have a little party. Just wanted to wish you well on your way. These people were fearful, and Moses says, hold on, fear you not. Stand still. But notice what he says. He says, see the salvation of the Lord, which he shall show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. Woo, that's a great promise. And you say, what does it have to do with the message today? It has everything to do with the message today. Because Moses said, fear ye not. He said, fear ye not. Even when you have reason to fear. Battlefield, fear ye not. Even though in 2021 and following, you and I might have good reason to fear. Stand still. Moses said, stand still, even though we may feel like Pharaoh and his army are on the way to attack. He said, stand still. In 2021, that's what we need to do. We need to stand still. Stand up, stand up for Jesus as, show, as soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal diadem. It must not suffer loss. And then what did Moses say? He said, and see, faith, faith is the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things unseen. He said, and see the salvation of the Lord. Even though the salvation of the Lord in that moment as they're coming, as they're attacking, as they're drawing closer and closer and closer and closer, seems so far away, Moses says, hold on, stop, shut up, look, stand up, fear not, because Jesus is going to do something today. Now some great theologian will say, well, they didn't know who Jesus was. Let me tell you, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is Creator. He is God. He is Lord of very lords. No matter what we face, we can be encouraged, just like the children of Israel were back in Exodus chapter 14, and just like the church at Smyrna when Jesus wrote this letter through the Apostle John, and He says these words, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Listen, you're going to have to suffer some things in this life. And many of you have already been there and done that. And the reality is you might have to go through some more fires. You might just have to go through some more fires. Moses said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Jesus said, be fearless. And then secondly, look here in verse number 10. Jesus said, be faithful. 
He said, be faithful. Be faithful unto death. And this is the same message to us today. He was telling the church then, listen, just keep depending on me. Be convinced in me. And by the way, doesn't John chapter 16 and verse number 33 remind you and I that Jesus has overcome the world? Oh, He's overcome the world. We don't have to fear what will come our way. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Just put a stop right there for a second. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. This is what Jesus said. So that we may boldly say, look at verse 6, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Is he your helper? The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Oh yes, the Bible tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. In the Psalm, in Psalm 23, in verse number 4, although you and I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, listen, you and I don't have to fear evil because guess what? Our shepherd is with us. No matter what we face, no matter what we go through, and this was the same for the church in Smyrna. He said, be thou faithful unto death. What a consolation prize. And today he's saying the very same thing. And so my friends, when persecution and difficulties come, I want to encourage you to be faithful. When problems or even poverty come your way, be faithful. Because you see, the reputation, the riches, the recognition of Jesus Christ is far greater and far outweighs anything that you and I could ever achieve or gain in this world. We can be faithful because we're rich in our possession of a Savior. We're rich in our possession of Scriptures. We're rich in our possession of a blessed hope, a living hope, if you please, and an eternal home in heaven. You know, there's coming a day when we'll be out of this world. Anybody ready? I'm not trying to force God's hand. In fact, I'm thankful for His protection and the good health that He's given me over the years. And even when I haven't had good health, He's found a way to restore my health. I'm thankful for that. But soon, there's coming a day when we will not be here We'll be on to the by and by. But until then, you know, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 9, in verse 23, if any man will come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's been said that a cross is not something we simply wear for him, but something we bear for him. You and I may have to face some suffering, like that church in Smyrna. We may have to go through periods of persecution, affliction, and on and on. But the reality is that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We can face it all, and we can face it all with joy because of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your love. God, I pray that you help us to lay down our ways and our wishes. God, so that when, when we do that, that you will be able to work in and through our lives. God, that you will use us as a testimony of your goodness and your grace. And God, that you will instill in us the ability to be fearless. 
God, that you might remind us to be faithful as well. And certainly the example of this church in Smyrna, this is, we haven't even scratched the, the surface with all that went on with this church. I encourage your people to do their own study and to see what type of suffering was really going on within this church. Because God, as we look at the faith and the testimony of this church in Smyrna, we can be, con we can be convinced and, and we can be encouraged to be men and women and young people of faith even today. So Lord, I pray. I pray that your word has fallen upon the good soil of hearts today. Lord, I pray, God, that you have used your word and will continue to use your word to challenge us, to encourage us, to draw us close to thee. God, that we might continue to walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, I pray for those that are maybe in this room, maybe watching online, that have never entered into that greatest relationship of all, relationship with you through your Son. Lord, I pray now that in the quietness of this moment, as they reflect on their own eternal destination and their own capacity as far as their relationship with you, Lord, I, I pray that you would speak to hearts and lives. Lord, if there's somebody in this room, somebody watching that has never trusted Christ for the forgiveness of sin and, and to become that beneficiary of life everlasting, Lord, I pray that they would do that today. Lord, that they would, they would recognize their need of a Savior and that they would turn over their life completely to Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us all because we don't know what tomorrow holds. Strengthen us that we might not be fearful, that we would stand still and see Your salvation. Lord, our desire most of all should be to bring You honor and glory. And so Lord, I pray that we'll do that with our words, with our thoughts, and with our actions. Lord, we love you and we thank you and praise you for all that you do, all that you will do. For it's in the precious name of your Son and for his sake that we do pray and ask it. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.